Well, uh, so today we are beginning a teaching series that's going to carry us all the way through uh, the month of December that we're calling the Voices of Christmas. The Voices of Christmas. And over these weeks, we're going to be thinking about the different voices in the Bible, the different voices that were speaking at the time of the birth of Jesus. But as we get ready to think about those voices, it occurs to me that there are some voices that are not biblical voices, they're just Christmas voices, right? They're, they're voices that when we hear them, we automatically associate them with Christmas. That when we hear these voices or we hear these songs, we're immediately taken back for many of us to our childhoods and to the traditions of our family celebrations of Christmas. And so I thought it would be fun if every single week we would take just a, a couple of minutes and, and have a little trivia and just sort of let you hear a little bit of Christmas voices from Christmas past and see if you know who they are. So are you ready? You want to hear the first one? Listen to this. See you all going like this now? All right, so if you know who that artist is, who's singing that? Shout his name. You got Andy. Somebody said Bing Crosby. It's not Bing Crosby. He's coming, but not this Sunday. Um, it's Andy Williams. It's the most wonderful time of the year by Andy Williams. Listen to the second one. All right. Do you know who that is? Burl Ives. All the older people are saying, Andy Williams, Burl Ives. And all the millennials are like, who are these people? This is a tough one. Do you know who that is singing that song? Anybody know? Shout it again. You got it. Fred Astaire is singing it. Fred Astaire's a dancer, but apparently he's a singer too. When I hear Fred Astaire singing that song, I'm taken back to my childhood and that early animation film, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town with the really horrible clay animation. And, and uh, yeah, that was, that was a, a, an annual sort of uh, event at our house and we had to watch that. So it's a lot of fun just to hear those songs and think about the voices and I see the smiles on your face and, and you're kind of you know, bobbing your head to the music. We'll do that uh, most Sundays over the next few weeks and let you experience some of those old Christmas classics. But here's the thing. We're going to be thinking during this teaching series not about those voices. We'll have some fun with that, but there are some other voices that we need to hear, some other voices of Christmas, the voices that were speaking when Jesus was born. Over the next few weeks, we're going to hear the voice of the angel Gabriel, and we'll hear his voice as he speaks authoritatively from the scriptures, as he speaks to Mary in the Annunciation when he says, Hail Mary, thou that art highly favored. He begins to explain to her how that she is going to conceive and that she will bear the Messiah. We'll consider the voice of the angel Gabriel. We'll also hear uh, in the coming weeks the voice of Mary, that probably very timid voice, that young girl, teenage girl's voice as she listens to this archangel Gabriel 
telling her what her life has been chosen for. And her response is to say, Behold, I am the handmaid, the servant of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. We'll hear her voice. We're going to hear the voice of the heavenly host, the angelic host, as they sing glory to God in the highest, in excelsis Deo. And we'll hear their voice. And in fact, on that particular Sunday, we're going to hear the voices of our own little angelic choir from our children's ministry that day singing those words as well. And then we'll also consider the voice of the shepherds, those shepherds who were visited by the angels who then said, let us go. Let us go now even unto Bethlehem and to see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. This is what the next four weeks is going to look like. The voice of the angel Gabriel, the voice of Mary, the voice of the heavenly host, and the voice of the shepherds. But today, since we're not quite in December yet, it makes sense to me that we would sort of preempt or preview would probably be a better word, preview those voices by considering another voice in the scriptures, that we could anticipate those voices that we will be hearing by listening closely to another voice which preceded all of those voices in the biblical text, a voice which the Bible records have uh, arriving in the earth only six months before Jesus himself. Today in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of John, we're going to consider the voice of John. John who was called the Baptist or the baptizer, the voice of John. Now you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter number 1. Let me direct your attention to verse number 26, Luke chapter 1 verse 26, which is probably for most of us where we always begin our Advent Reading When we're reading about the advent of Christ, the, the nativity, the, the incarnation of God in Christ, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, we often begin in Luke 1 and verse 26, which says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And it's the beginning of this passage in the scriptures where the annunciation occurs and Gabriel comes and speaks to Mary about how that she will give birth to the Messiah. What you may not have given much thought to in the past is the fact that this verse begins with these words, and in the sixth month. Have you ever considered the sixth month of what? And in what sixth month is being referred to? Well, you only need to read the rest of the chapter to know what's being referenced. In fact, in verse number five, Luke chapter one and verse five, you're introduced to a couple, a married couple, a priest by the name of Zecharias and his wife, Elizabeth. And what you'll discover in Luke chapter one is that uh, Zecharias and Elizabeth are going to have a child, a son. Elizabeth is pregnant with their son who will be called John. And the scripture says in chapter 1 and verse 36, Luke 1 and verse 36, that the angel Gabriel ends his discussion with Mary about how she'll conceive the Christ child. He finishes that discussion by referencing her cousin Elizabeth. Look at it, chapter 1 of Luke and verse number 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. There you go. And in the sixth month, what sixth month? The sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth to deliver John the Baptist 
into the world. Mary and Elizabeth are cousins, and Elizabeth will deliver John only six months before Mary will deliver Jesus. And John will be his forerunner, his prophet. He will be the one who will come proclaiming that Christ the Messiah has arrived. That's what we're talking about. Let me read it to you beginning in Luke 1 and verse number 5. We're going to read about this surprise conception and the birth of John the Baptist. Luke 1 verse 5. There was in the days of Herod a certain, uh, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abia and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. They were blameless. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't receive, uh, conceive and they were both now well stricken in years. And it came to pass while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot, that's Zechariah's lot, was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the temple at the time of the incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And let me stop right there just for a second because I think it's worth noting that this profound event that we're going to read about in, in Luke chapter 1, this surprise conception and this birth of John the Baptist is announced to Zacharias by the angel Gabriel in a time when Zacharias and Elizabeth are going through the normal routines of their lives. You know, if you read that passage again, it says that they were both righteous and they were blameless regarding the law. And he was a priest and she was one of the daughters of Aaron. And so they're just a faithful family. They've gotten older now. They're not expecting to have any children. He's serving in the temple. It happens to be his day to go burn the incense. And so he's in the temple at the altar of incense. He's lighting the incense. Probably a very routine job, a very mundane task that he had done many, many times before. And he's just doing the things that he's supposed to do. And in that moment, in their normal routine of just being faithful people, this profound moment happens when God does this awesome thing in their lives. And here's why I mention that to you, because this is the way God often does it. That he shows up in our lives and gives us grace in ways that we don't expect when we're just doing our thing, right? We're just being the people that God wants us to be. We're just trying to be faithful in doing the things that God wants us to do. And God shows up and is active in our lives. That's what happens. The angel, verse 11, shows up and begins to speak to him. Verse 12 says, When Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and you shall call his name John. And you shall have joy and gladness, and many people shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall, shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him. That is, he shall go before Christ. Or he shall go before the Messiah. He shall go before Jesus in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready 
a people prepared for the Lord. I want you to take your pen if you're a note taker. And in verse number 17, I want you to circle the word prepared. Prepared. We're going to see that word again in the passage later on in Luke chapter number 1. Here's what you find out when you read these words of Gabriel in this brief passage. We learn some things about this baby that's going to be born to uh, Zacharias and to Elizabeth. First of all, we learned that his name was predetermined by God. Have you ever, have you been that young couple who was having a baby and you're trying to decide what are we going to name him, uh, him or her, and you just, and particularly back before ultrasound technology advanced and you didn't know till the birth if it was a boy or girl, so you had to choose one of each and it's always this big decision. Well, Zacharias and Elizabeth didn't have that problem. God said, I'm going to tell you what you're going to name him. You're going to name him John. That's going to be his name. And so it was predetermined by God that he would be called John. The second thing, though, that you learn in this passage, you'll see it in verse number 17, is that John would be a prophet, a mighty prophet. In fact, later on, Jesus would say of John, there's never been a greater prophet than him. He will be a prophet who will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Do you see it in verse 17? The spirit and the power of Elijah. And that his specific ministry, his call... The purpose of his life is that he will turn the hearts of Israel toward God so that they can receive the Messiah. He will prepare them. He will make them ready to be prepared to receive the Messiah. That's his his call in life. Now, all of that is the announcement of Gabriel even before Elizabeth Conceives. We're going to skip to the end of the chapter because it's a very long chapter, 80 verses. Say amen if you're glad I'm not reading. No, don't say that. But I'm not going to read all 80 verses. We'll skip to the end to the actual birth of John. So go to verse number 67, Luke 1, 67. When John is born, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed His people, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now, verse 76, he begins to speak really prophetically to pray sort of prophetically over the child himself. He speaks to the infant John. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. And you shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give the knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the way of peace. And then verse 80 ends by fast forwarding later into John's adult life. It says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert until the day of his showing unto Israel. I I just want to stop for a second and tell you how impressed I am with with Zechariah's prayer, his his speaking these words, this this word of, of prophecy really, 
over the life of his young son, beginning in verse number 76. He pronounces, he says out loud, he prays out loud, what will be the course of his infant son's entire life? Now, I need to say to you that he doesn't just make it up as he goes. He's not just sort of self-prophesying, but he's praying over his son the exact words that Gabriel had said about his son way back in the beginning of the chapter in verse number 17. So in chapter 1, verse 17, Gabriel says, this child shall go before the Messiah in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient unto the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then when Zechariah prays over his child in verse number 76, he says the same thing. Child, you will go forth. You will be called the prophet of the highest. You shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation. So he's, he's taking the word of God, the word of the angel, and he's praying that over his son. Now, here's the reason I make such a point of that. If y'all are still with me, shout amen. Here's the reason this is important. Mom, dad, grandparents, you should do this. I really think we should do this. I think we should get in the habit of praying the word of God over our children and our grandchildren. If God has blessed you with little ones, if they're your own children, if they are your grandchildren, if maybe they're even nieces and nephews or just little ones that you can influence, God has given you the privilege of praying for them and you should pray the word of God over them. I've made it a habit over the last few years to try to do this. I wish I had done it many, many years ago when our children were infants, as John was in this passage. But just in the last couple of years, this has really become something that God has impressed upon my own heart. And so I've begun praying um, this passage. I keep it in my Bible, just as my reminder, Psalm 144. I pray this over the lives of my children who are now adults and over the lives of of my grandchildren. It prays specifically for our sons and it prays specifically for our daughters and it prays specifically for our family. I encourage you to do that. The other night I had the privilege, it was so awesome to, I got to rock my grandson to sleep. And so for about an hour and a half, he just was in my arms in the rocker and I was just holding him. And man, you want to have an opportunity to pray over your grandchildren, just let them go to sleep in your arms. And this is this beautiful opportunity to pray these these prayers of Psalm 144 or some other passage over their lives. Well, this is what, this is what uh, Zacharias does. He prays over infant John. I mentioned it already, verse 76. He says, you'll be a prophet of the highest. You will go before the Lord. You will prepare the people. Again, there's that word. In fact, if you haven't circled it already, you should do it in verse number 76. The word prepare again. You shall be the one that will prepare them. So here's the promise, right? The promise of this passage is that, look, the long-awaited Messiah is coming. The long-awaited Messiah of Israel is arriving. His name is not John. His name is Jesus. Elizabeth isn't going to give birth to him. Mary is going to give birth to him. But before he arrives, God is sending his prophet, who will be six months ahead of him, six months older than him, who will go before him and prepare the people to receive Jesus the Messiah coming behind him. And the promises that God had made to Israel through the Messiah were profound promises. In fact, God had sworn himself to these promises. God had committed himself to these promises. Look at chapter 1, verse 70, verse 72, verse 73. 
where he, he swears. God does. Verse 70, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been here since the world began. Verse number 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. Verse 73, the oath which God swore to our father Abraham. He, he's, he's prophesying, Zacharias is, and saying the Messiah is coming and God has made us some incredible promises in this Messiah. And he, he details what those promises are. Let me show them to you quickly uh, in, in chapter number one of Luke. Look at verses 69, 70, and 71. He says that God has promised to deliver us from our enemies. Deliver us from our enemies. Verse 69, he has raised up for us a horn of salvation, or a strong savior for us in the house of his servant David as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from all that hate us. This was the promise of God to Israel through their Messiah. I'm going to deliver you from those that are oppressing you. And, and as I deliver you, you will then be free to serve God without fear. Look at verses 74, the second part of verse 74 and verse 75. That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve God without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all the days of our life. I mean, think about it. For hundreds of years, they had been serving the Lord, but they had been doing it under the hand, heavy hand of the Romans, under the oppression of the Greeks, or under the domination of the Persians, or under the enslavement of the Babylonians. They had always been serving God under the hand of those that hated them. And God said, one day I'm going to send the Messiah. And when he comes, he's going to deliver you from those that hate you, and he will make it possible for you to serve God in freedom. And without fear. He says that when the Messiah comes, he will not only set you free politically, but he will also forgive your sins. It's in verses number 77 and 78. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of our sins through the tender mercy of our God. He will set us free from those who oppress us so that we can serve God in freedom and that our sins will be forgiven. And then verse 79 he says, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the way of peace. This is the messianic promise to Israel that they will experience national blessing and that they will live in peace. God will set them free, give them victory over their conquerors and those that hate them. They will serve God in freedom. Their sins will be forgiven and they will experience national blessing and peace. And the Bible says that John was sent to prepare the people for those blessings. Now verse number 80 ends chapter number 1 where it says that now John grew up. It just sort of fast forwards through his life. John grew up and he was in the desert. He went out into the desert until the day would come when he would be revealed to Israel. Go to John chapter number 1. You still holding your finger there? John chapter 1. Look at verses 6 and 7. John 1, 6 says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. There's the day. All right, so chapter 1, verse 80 says, John grew up and he went out into the desert until the day that God would send him to Israel. John 1, verse 6, there's the day. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Verse 7, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light. John was not the Messiah, but he came to bear witness of the light. Skip down John chapter 1, look at verse number 15. John 1, 15. Here's John's message. John the Baptist is preaching this message. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom 
I spake. Speaking of Jesus, this is he, was he of whom I spake. He that comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have received in grace, for grace, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him to us. And this is the record that, of John when the Jews uh, sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and denied not. He confessed and said, I am not the Christ. And they said, Well, then, who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you that prophet Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you that prophet? No, he says. Then they said unto him, well, who are you then that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What do you say of yourself? And he said to them, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as says the prophet Isaiah. And when they which were sent, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, why do you baptize then if you are not that Christ or Elijah or that prophet, and John answered and said, I baptize with water, but there's standing one among you whom you do not know. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes lace, shoelaces I am not worthy to unloose. And these things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John sees Jesus coming to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said... After me there is coming a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I am come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, he said to me, unto whom you shall see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he, is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost." And I saw in bare record that this is the Son of God. If y'all are still with me, would you shout amen? amen? I know it's a lot of scripture today, but it's important that we get this full picture of who John was, where he came from, what his ministry was, and what his message was. Now, by the way, some of you who are very incisive students of the scripture, you're very astute in your reading of the word, you noticed a problem in chapter number one of John. Did you see it? Did you see the, the difficulty in John chapter number one? Um, it's found in verse 21. Look at it again. John 1 and verse 21. So the Pharisees send some Levites and priests down to John. Remember, John's come out of the desert. He's wearing camel's hair. He's eating locusts and wild honey. He's this, this loud preacher preaching repentance for the Messiah is coming. He's baptizing people and and, and there's quite a stir about him, and so they want to know who he is. And they send these, these inquisitors to ask him, verse 21, Are you that prophet, that promised prophet Elijah? And John says, I am not. I am not. Now that's a problem. It's a problem. Why is it a problem? Well, let me read to you what Malachi says. In fact, many of you know that Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Let me read to you from the very last book of the Old Testament, and in fact, not just the last book, but the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. In fact, not just the last chapter of the last book, but let me read to you the last verse of the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. It is the very last thing that the Old Testament says. Listen to it, Malachi 4 
and verse number five. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And this Elijah shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. That's the last promise of the Old Testament. And Luke chapter 1, verse number 17, the angel Gabriel says to Zacharias, your son shall go before the Messiah in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient and the wisdom of the just. Gabriel says to Zacharias, your son will be the fulfillment of Malachi 4 and verse 6. He will be the prophet in the spirit and the power of Elijah who will turn the hearts of the people and prepare them for God. And then when John's actually ministering, the people come and ask him, are you that prophet? And John says, no, I'm not. So what's the solution? Why does Gabriel says this is going to be his pur- say this is going to be his purpose in life, but John says this is not what is happening? Well, Thankfully, Jesus has the answer. By the way, if you're glad Jesus has the answer, would you say amen? Jesus has the answer. So I want to show it to you. You don't have to turn. We'll put it on the screen. Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. Listen to what Jesus says. Speaking of John, he says, "If speaking to the Jewish people of the ministry and the message of John, if you are willing to accept it, he, John, is the Elijah who was to come. If you're listening, shout Amen. The Bible says that John came with this good news, this message that the Messiah is coming, that you, Israel, can be set free from your captors, that you can have your sins forgiven, and you can serve God in freedom and without fear all the days of your life and experience national blessing and peace. And guess what? They would not receive the message. They rejected it. In fact, not only did they just reject the message, They had him, or King Herod, the Jewish king, had John beheaded. And later, Jesus would weep over Jerusalem, and he would say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you to myself, but you would not because you are those that kill the prophets that I send to you. See, John knew who he was talking to. And John knew that his message would be rejected by Israel. And so when asked by the Pharisees, are you the one fulfilling this call to be the prophet Elijah? He says, I'm not. It's not going to happen because they are rejecting the message. Now, here's the reason I make that point to you. And I want every one of you in the room and those of you watching online, I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. The point is to say that the message of Jesus will only bring you grace if you receive it. Hear this, pastor. The the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what Jesus came to do, the freedom that he offers, the forgiveness that he extends, the, the promise of mercy and eternal life and blessing and peace is worthless to you if you reject him, if you reject his message. And so my encouragement to you is to receive the message, my I would implore you, I would beg you to receive the message of John about Jesus. Now, we've just read John's message in the Gospel of John chapter 1. Let me just walk you through what his message is, and then we'll finish. First of all, John says to those that he's preaching to, and by extension through the Scriptures, he says it to us. Here's the first point of his message. Write it down. Jesus is worthy. 
That's the first thing that John wants all of his hearers to know. Jesus is worthy. Now, by the way, I should stop and tell you that John had great success in ministry. Now, he was rejected nationally. The the Jewish nation rejected him. But he had great success individually as people received his message and were baptized. There were great followings, great hosts of people that followed John. You know, he came, I mentioned earlier, he came out of the wilderness wearing camel's hair and he was this very, very intriguing character, eating wild honey and, and, and locusts. And, and he comes into, into the land of Israel out of the desert, out of the, the deserts on the far side of the Jordan River. He's preaching repentance and prepare to receive the Messiah. People are being baptized. The Bible says they come from the Galilee. They come from the hills of Judea. They come from Jerusalem. Thousands of people come around to hear John preach. He had great success in ministry. But here's what you notice about John's message. He always, if y'all are listening, shout amen. He always points people to Jesus. He's always pointing them to Christ who was to come. It's a good lesson for pastors in our day. Amen. It's a good lesson for celebrity pastors across our land who have their own sort of gravity around their personalities and their ministries. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the fact that God gives great success to churches and pastors, but we must always remember that we point to Jesus and Jesus alone. Every song we sing points to Jesus, and every sermon we preach points to Jesus, and every ministry that we have points to Jesus. He was always saying, Jesus alone is worthy, always pointing them to one that was to come. And and in pointing them to Jesus, he spoke so eloquently of who Jesus was and of his value and of his worth. Uh, Look at verse number 15. Uh, I'm in John chapter 1. And verse number 15, it says, John bare witness, John preached about him saying, he cried aloud saying, speaking of Jesus, this was he, he's the one I've been telling you about. He's the one I've been pointing you to. I've been saying to you, he that comes after me is preferred before me. Three times John says these exact same words. Verse 15, verse 27, verse 30. He is preferred before me. In other words, John says, it's not about me. For every person who came to hear John preach, he said, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Jesus is worthy of your attention. Jesus is worthy of your adoration. Jesus is worthy of your devotion. He is preferred before me. The word preferred means that he is ahead of me, that he outranks me, that that he he is above me. And in fact, in verse 15 and verse 27, he says, the reason he is preferred before me, look at verse 15, There's one coming after me who was preferred before me because he was before me. You see that same statement in verse number 30. He is preferred before me because he was before me. All right, so everybody listen. Let's do a little math here, okay? Luke tells us that Zacharias and Elizabeth conceived John and in the sixth month of her pregnancy... Mary, miraculously, as a virgin, conceives the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, right? So John is six months older than Jesus. If y'all are still with me, if biology class is going okay, say amen. (laughs) Who was born first? John was born first. 
Jesus was born six months later. Who's older? John is six months older than Jesus, but John says of Jesus, he was before me. Can we agree together? Bethlehem was not the beginning of Jesus Christ, right? John's preaching about the pre-existence of Jesus. John's saying, I was conceived by my mother and my father, but Jesus has always been. He is before me. He speaks about his pre-existence. He speaks about the fact that he is above John. I love verse number 16 where John says, of his fullness we have all received. Now, I do need to tell you because some of you will email me about this or or ask me about it after church. I want to clarify. Some of you say, well, now, verse 16, 17, these verses are not John the Baptist speaking, right? These are John the Apostle speaking. So the text kind of jumps back and forth between John's witness and John the Baptist's witness and John the Apostle's words. It's debatable. These might be the words of John the Apostle, but you'll forgive me if I apply them to John the Baptist, right? Because they fit his message perfectly. He mentions his fullness. Look at verse number 16. And of his fullness have we all received. I love this word. The word means that which fills all things, that which is completely self-sufficient and and self-sustaining in every way. It's the divine nature, the character of God, that he has no shortage. Listen carefully. He has no shortfall. He is never depleted in any of his resources. He is the fullness of all things. John speaks of Jesus and says he is the preexistent, eternal one who is sufficient and full and fills all things. And he says in verse number 16 that in his fullness we have received grace upon grace upon grace. John preaches about the grace of Jesus. If you're glad for grace, would you shout amen? Amen. Amen. And I got to tell you, I need grace upon grace after grace with more grace. I don't need grace one time. And the testimony of every Christian is that our lives are marked by the lapping of grace in our lives, like the waves upon the beach. And every time one episode of grace recedes and we think, oh, I'm out of grace, here comes another wave of grace crashing upon the shore of our lives. We need it. I read the story once of a person who prayed this prayer. They said, Lord, it's been such a good day. I haven't done anything terrible today. I haven't cussed. I haven't gotten in a fight. I, I haven't been lustful or greedy or dishonest. And Lord, it's been such a good day. Thank you for your grace. Now in a minute, I'm going to get out of bed and I've got to get ready and go to work. <laughs> and Lord, I'm going to need more grace. Of his fullness, we have received never-ending, completely sufficient grace. And then he says in verse 18, in verse 34, that he is the son of God. He, again, for the sake of time, I, I, I will move on. But he, he says, I want you to know that he's worthy because he is this preexistent, exalted one who has all that he needs and fills all things and gives us grace upon grace. And he is the one who has come from God to reveal to us the God that otherwise we could never have known. If you agree, Jesus is worthy. Would you say amen? In fact... In fact, John would say in this passage, he says in verse number 27, this one that I'm pointing you to, this Jesus, Messiah, he's so glorious, he's so worthy. John says, it's almost like he gets on his knees and he says, I'm I'm not even worthy 
to take my hands and to untie the laces of his sandals. That's how glorious he is. John would say to you, here's his message. Jesus is worthy. Here's the second thing he says. Jesus will save you. Jesus will save you. This is the joyful announcement of verse number 29. The next day, John sees Jesus coming to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Now, you ought to be interested in that statement if, in fact, you are willing to admit that you are a sinner. If you're willing to own your guilt and to acknowledge your failings and to confess that you have sinned and come short of the glory of God and be honest about the fact that you are imperfect, then here's the good news of John's message. Jesus, Jesus will save you. You can't save yourself, but Jesus, this pre-existent, full and divine one who has come to reveal the Father to us, he will forgive you. He calls him in verse number 29, the Lamb of God. And every Jew knew what he meant. The Lamb was that that would be sacrificed for our sins. He would die on the cross He is the Lamb of God who would take our sins up and carry them away. What's John's message? Jesus is worthy and Jesus will save. Lastly, he says this about Jesus. Jesus will transform your life. And can I tell you, he will do it. He can transform your life. I'm intrigued by verses 32 and 33. These verses have always made me go, really? Man, I want to know more about that. Listen to verse 32. John bear record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. And I didn't know him. I didn't know for sure if he was the Messiah until that moment. But here's how I knew. He that sent me to baptize with water, the same said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is the one who baptizes with the Holy Ghost. I love this. Luke chapter 1 verse 80 says, John grew up and went into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness until he comes preaching And somewhere in the wilderness, he had a conversation with somebody. I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Angel Gabriel. Maybe it was God the Father. Maybe it was Jesus pre uh, or before his revelation. I don't know. But he has a conversation with somebody. And that somebody says, hey, when you see the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon someone, remaining there, you know. That's the sign. That's the sign. Don't you know every time a dove flew over somebody's head? John's going, is that the one? He's watching. (laughs) He baptizes Jesus and the Spirit of God descends upon him and God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son. And he says, that's the one that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And listen, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you are saved and the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you, it changes your life. It transforms you. It makes you a different person. You say, Pastor, I'd love to be a Christian, but I don't think I could live the life Welcome to the crowd of people who can't live the life, but the Spirit of Almighty God lives within us to empower that life and give us the ability to live. In fact, in one place, I love it, Matthew records it this way, Matthew 3.11. He says that John said it this way, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And Matthew says he included the words, and with fire. And the fire of the Holy Ghost purges our lives, cleanses our lives, and the power of the Holy Spirit empowers us to live for Christ. Here's John's message. Don't reject it. Because the message of Jesus will only help you if you receive it. John's message is Jesus is worthy. You and I aren't even worthy to kneel before him and untie his shoes. He's worthy and he'll save you 
and he'll change your life. If you receive that voice, your heart will be prepared to receive the Lord. I want to close by taking you back to verse number 21, John 1 and verse 21, where the Pharisees asked this question, are you that Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not. That's not what's happening. And, um, and so they say, well, who are you? Verse number 22, who are you? And here's his answer, verse number 23. He said, here's who I am. I am the voice. Voices of Christmas, right? I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight, prepare the way of the Lord, as was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Can I read it to you? Isaiah 40 and verse 3. This is what he's quoting. Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough places shall be made plain or smooth and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. They said to him, who are you then? If you're not that Elijah, who are you? He said, I am the voice of Isaiah. Prepare to receive the Lord. In the days of Isaiah, in the days of antiquity, when a king would travel through the desert, he didn't walk. He didn't have his own walking stick and, and carry himself. He was carried on, a, on a, a chariot of sorts or a carriage of sorts. He was carried through the desert. And in the places where the desert was particularly impassable, where the hills were too steep or the valleys were too deep or the incline was too extreme or the road was too twisty and rough, before the king would ever come through, his servants would go before him. And it would be their, their task to prepare the road so that when the king arrived, he would have a smooth ride on his journey, a safe passage. And so they would do the hard labor of preparing that road. They would take the high places and the steep hills and they would cut them down. They would shovel them down and, and create a lower, more level place. And then where the valleys were low, they would build them up, fill them in and build them up and create a level road. And where the, where the road would twist around the hills of those Judean hills or those desert mountains, they would, they would create a straighter road and and make it so that when the king came, he would be received. John says, that's who I am. That's what I'm telling you. Prepare to receive the Lord. So here's what I would suggest to you. For those of you who over the course of your life, intentionally or not, have erected mountains of defiance against God. You, there are mountains of, of disbelief and mountains of of arrogance and pride and mountains of resistance that say to God, I don't need you. John's message is, tear those mountains down. Just level them. And where there's a low place in your life, would you rise in faith? And, and where your life has been a life of running from God and, and telling him to leave you alone and resisting him, where that road of your life has been going like that, he would say, just stop and turn around and just invite a straight course of God and his mercy to come into your life. And if you will let the mountains of your resistance fall and the faith rise 
and the road be clear, I'm here to tell you in the voice of John the Baptist, he will save you and change your life forever if you'll receive it.